The characters of Independence Day must turn to God, heed warnings, and be prepared to do battle against a superior foe. Ah, the spiritual parallels. Are you just watching? Episode 106, Independence Day, Part 2. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're continuing our discussion on the old movie from 1996, Independence Day. and Classic. Classic, yeah. It's really stood the test of time quite well. I mean, it's one of those movies that feels somewhat timeless, like it could happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The only issue obviously with this one is that it has the twin towers in it and it doesn't have oh, cell yeah. phones in it <laughs> and there's several things that are kind of anachronistic to this t- day and age but overall actually it does have cell phones in it it does but they're not the kind of cell phones we have today <laughs> no <laughs> no they're not i only mentioned that because uh the whole scene in the white house i actually looked up because i couldn't remember what cell phones were like back then so i looked up what the cell phone technology was yeah i had a cell phone in the late 90s so yeah i i knew that cell phones existed but they were the (laughs) they were the little flip little flip phones that didn't really do much besides you i mean you could call on them but that was about it Cell phones were frowned upon in my profession back in the in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, they weren't as common as they are now, and people still had landlines and they still had phone booths, and you know mm-hmm. it, it wasn't one of those situations where you just it, everybody had a cell phone. You might have a cell phone per family. For our younger listeners, a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> was this giant metal thing with glass windows that you could step into, and it had an actual phone in it that you would put you money would in. this currency out of your pocket called <laughs> coins, <laughs> and it would allow you to dial a phone number, much like you do when you take your phone out of your pocket now. <laughs> <laughs> and they were required because there might be situations where you needed a phone and you were in the middle of nowhere and you weren't home where your phone was. <laughs> so you would have to use a payphone. It was a really weird thing back then. Crazy. Now, now, however, if you had watched Captain Marvel, they had a payphone in Captain Marvel. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Because <laughs> that you was know, also you can always set go in the back 90s. to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, too. <laughs> Which has a sequel coming out soon, yeah. uh, within a month or two, I think. But, you know, other than the anachronisms of the time period, this movie overall <laughs> does fit very well. It's, it's one that's easy to go back. The special effects were not bad, not even by today's exacting standards. Yeah. And most of it was fairly believable, I I think, for the most part, the alien autopsy part. Uh, you know, in, in episode 105, we talked about how they really didn't care about the science. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that actually plays into why it has stayed a classic, why it, why it's one that we can always just pick up and watch, because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't care if it gets the science right. It's all about the story. Yeah. It really takes the, the 1950s invasion a storyline and and uh, adds a layer underneath that makes you care about the people. Yeah. I can't remember was M Night Shyamalan's signs 
That was after this, right? Yeah, I think that was after this. But one of the things that I think is so cool about Independence Day is that it's a, it's about not just a national but global tragedy. And when I was rewatching it, you know, New York City and Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles are the first three mm-hmm. cities that are struck in the United States. And when I first rewatched this movie for the podcast, it really struck me when they did the skyline of New York City and the Twin Towers were there because yeah. this, you know, this happened in 1996. It was only five years later that the Twin Towers were destroyed. And that was a national tragedy. I mean, it's something that all right. of us are going to remember where we were when it happened. Mm-hmm. And it was a terrible occurrence in New York City for those people who actually lived in New York City, because not only were the towers struck and destroyed, but they're coming down the way they just they came tumbling down and filled the streets with dust and, and, you know, this debris wave that coated people in, in dust and everything. And just the mm-hmm. visual of people running, you know, running in the streets to get away from it. And we see that it kind of a preliminary of that in this movie. And it was done in 1996. It wasn't the Twin Towers that were the target. It was the Empire State oh, Building. Chris, it was, was it Empire State or was it Chrysler? I think it was Empire State still. So. I think it was Empire State Building that was the, the target in Independence Day. And yeah. so it was still kind of a, a national figure that that and along with the White House, which I thought was interesting that the the ship targeted the White House and not the Capitol building that mm-hmm. but all that to say this was a preliminary of a national tragedy we had not when this movie came out, we had not endured nine eleven that was something that was still yeah. in our future, and we we'd had tragedies before, but nothing to the scale. The only thing I can think of that would have been to that scale would have been Pearl Harbor, which was a generation before us. And so mm-hmm. th- this was something that, you know, fictional, that may have even, you know, we-, we could imagine what it would be like for something like that to happen, but we could never actually picture it until it actually happened. And so it, it kind of struck me when I was looking at the skyline of New York City in this movie and remembering what it what it was like for our nation to go through 9-11 because that is impactful because of what goes on in Independence Day because you yeah. see a whole nation that is struck by a massive tragedy, a loss of life that we can't even wrap our mind around. And so we have people that have lost loved ones. And there's a scene in the movie before before they actually have the first destructions of the city, they send up the welcome wagon, which I think is absolutely hilarious. You know, <laughs> it's like, what is this helicopter with flashing lights supposed to do for communication? But anyway, <clears throat> the aliens just destroy the helicopter. And you see this news a feature that's going on and I can't remember where they are, but it's whether they actually just put it on the screen or whether it's in the background and a scene somewhere. But you hear the, the announcer say, our prayers go out to the families of those brave pilots. Indeed, God help us all. And hmm. that is the kind of thing that you see in the news when a national tragedy happens. It's like suddenly we have this sudden return to remembering, oh, yeah, there's a God, you know, <laughs> and we can, <laughs> we can pray to a God during this, you know, time of national tragedy. And so 
The first thing we wanted to talk about in this episode, because we spent the last episode on this movie talking, you know, really getting in deep about the characters and talking about Mm -hmm. uh, the the story behind Independence Day and what drived it, you know, the character, the relationships and, and all of that. And we spent an entire episode on that, but we have so much more to talk about. And the first and number one thing that I think we can deal with is how, when we look for God, as a nation and as a world, when when does God become important to us? And those of us who are Christians, obviously, God should be important to us every minute of every day because mm. we have a relationship with him. But the unbeliever lives his life completely in denial that there is a God. So we have a, a Romans 1 world, you know, where yeah. they have no excuse for not going knowing God, but they'd only turn to him when when things are really bad. And so we see a lot of that going on in this movie. And I think it's very realistic. And I'm not entirely sure whether that was purposeful for them to put that in the movie, whether they, they when they were putting it, he's like, we're going to have an international tragedy where there's all these people, we got to bring up God. So we got to somehow weave that, weave that into the plot or whether it just happened. Yeah. It just seemed like the thing to do. It just seemed like the thing to do that that you had to bring God up. I I would think that if they made this movie today, if they made Independence Day movie today, and of course they have because they've they've done a sequel to it, I think right. you would not see this in a current movie made like this. That they would leave God completely out. You know, even for unbelievers, the not just the the references to God taking his name in vain and everything, but Mm -hmm. the idea, the concept of God is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, when people use his name in vain with the whole OMG thing, they're still hearkening back to a time where, you know, it was a reference to something that was unbelievable. Yeah. That was beyond comprehension. And it's just become so commonplace and, you know, it ties back to that old army. I don't know if it's an army saying. I'm going to say it's an army saying because, <laughs> you know, I'm partial. There are no atheists in foxholes. Yeah. It, when something like. Or there's always prayer in schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever there's a test, there's always prayer in schools. Yeah, exactly. When something like this happens, uh, people, they need to reach out. And the reason they reach out to God is because. It's written on their hearts, Mm -hmm. even if they choose not to believe it, even if they claim, like some scientists out there, that there is no God and and everything just happens by complete random circumstantial chance. When something like this happens, they know instinctively where to go. And for many people, that's not. It's not going to be enough to to get them to to reach out and grasp the right things. Yeah. You heard stories after 9-11 of people who didn't make it to the work that day or were, for some reason, they they took a different route or they didn't get on the plane or, you know, Mm -hmm. lots of just, I escaped it and I can't believe how I wasn't there, you know, kind of stories. And there's one of those that comes up from the Los Angeles because Jasmine manages somehow to survive the utter destruction of Los Angeles in a way that makes absolutely no sense. But yeah. we'll leave <laughs> that as as it may be. 
it's it's not science <laughs> but it, it was god probably because as the this gentleman that she picks up in the truck that she finds and they're driving you know she's collecting survivors as she goes through la and mm -hmm. he says today was the first time i used the subway and thank god for the metro rail and i was thinking you know He's not really thanking God for the Metro Rail. He's just saying it that way. And and but it's something that right. is in in the vernacular and we people say it all the time and they don't even they're not really being thankful. But it is God. It is a God thing. You know, when you yeah. drive down the interstate and a wreck occurs behind you or you get delayed at home for 5 minutes and you find out that you missed a wreck. Uh, on your way to work mm -hmm. or any of those. God is in every single one of those. He knows what day you're going to die, what minute you're going to die. And he's not going to allow you to to meet that in until uh, it's your time. So we should be thankful, you know, really thankful yeah. and not just leave it up to, you know, the vernacular to say, oh, thank God for the Metro Rail. Mm -hmm. And when he says it, you really get the idea that he doesn't, he doesn't really know why he took the metro, yeah. why he took the subway. Um, it just happened to be that. So, you know, he was attributing it as a miracle. Even with that subtext to his statement, you still feel like he's saying it because it's just what you say. It's just the vernacular. Yeah. But uh, it's still a miracle. Yeah. I mean, every person who survives and there aren't very many in this movie. It's, it's interesting because for the death count in this movie, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. And yeah. I did a search because I knew it's a movie has been out forever. There had to be wikis out there that gave all kinds of information. And I was curious to see how many cities were actually destroyed in this movie because it's a lot. And you, you hear them rattle off. In, in scenes in the movie, you know, it's this city and this city and this city. And yeah. I, I figured somewhere somebody had made a list. And sure enough, I found one, which we'll put in the show notes mm. where we found the list. And there were 36 ships and there were th three waves before they stopped them. So mm -hmm. that makes 108 cities completely destroyed. These are not like 9-11 destructions. These are like almost like nuclear blasts because it their uh, weapon created this massive firewall that just basically takes the city down for miles. So these are utter destructions. And these are complete genocides because the people in the cities have no way of escaping it if they didn't evacuate in advance. I mean, you see the list of the cities. I'm like, I don't know where these lists of these cities came from because I don't think they were all mentioned in the movie. Maybe they were. Yeah. But it, it is um, when you start adding up in your mind, looking down the list, uh, I'll just read some off the first wave. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, New York City, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Vancouver, Toronto, Mexico City, Havana, mm. uh, Dakar, Senegal, Lagos, uh, uh Jakarta, Singapore, Ho Chi Minh City, Manila, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, Seoul, Tokyo, Calcutta, yep. Bombay, New Delhi, Karachi, Tehran, Jerusalem. They probably focused, it sounds like they focused on seats of power. Yeah. Uh, Vladivost 
Bostock, I don't even know how to say that, Russia, mm-hmm. Moscow, Kiev, yep. Istanbul, Athens, Rome, Warsaw, Berlin, London, Paris, and Amsterdam were all in the first wave. And you take into account the fact that in the first wave, nobody was evacuating. I mean, everybody, well, at least here in the U.S., according to the movie, nobody was evacuating. They were all thinking the aliens mm-hmm. were peaceful, and so people were not leaving. Now, some people were leaving because when they when Dave and, David and his uh, father drive into Washington, D.C., everybody's going. D.C. Yeah, everybody's going the other way. Yeah. About midway through the movie, the president asked General Gray, uh, what the status of the military is. And he says we're at 15%. Now, keeping in mind that, you know, 15% is not just manpower, but also armament and vehicles and mm-hmm. aircraft and everything like that. Just for argument, let's say it was 15% of the, the 85% of the armed forces had been killed. That death toll alone of just 85% of the armed forces is almost 280 million people. And then you have, you know, the population of all those cities on top of that. And those are some of the most populous cities in the world, too. Uh, New York York City and Los Angeles are the biggest populated cities in the United States. I, I think it would be reasonable to say that a third of the world's population was easily eliminated at the first wave. Yeah. And then by the end of the the movie, it was probably more than half the world's population was was gone, was killed. So by we're the, talking the about aliens. Worse than what happens in Infinity War. <laughs> to and we had a oh, yeah, worse than the snap. We had an entire discussion about how devastating it would have been to our world to have lost fifty percent of its people, and. Mm-hmm. That left the cities behind. And in Independence Day, they lost so much. It wasn't just the cities. Think about the loss of our culture because we would have lost museums and books and, you know, cultural heritages that were just completely wiped out. Yeah. And to even contemplate how we would recover from as a world population from something like that is... This, it's, this is the kind of thing that leads to Mad Max and Book of Eli yeah. <laughs> post-apocalypse uh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is a, an apocalypse of a great proportion. And where is God in that? I mean, the, these are the kinds of things where the population does turn to God. And and you see that. They show this in the movie. In fact, there's a scene we referred to it briefly when we were talking about uh, David and his father in our previous episode, that... Julius tells David that he hasn't spoken to God since David's mother died. And right before David gets on the alien uh, ship to do their their little um, Trojan horse in the mothership, he gives (laughs) Julius a, I don't know whether it's a prayer book or a Torah and and a kippah to Julius so that he can pray, because those are necessary for for Jewish prayer. Mm -hmm. And so... You you have this great scene of when everything's coming together, they've got the ship heading towards the Area 51 where the last remnant of any government is left, you know, for the United States and their last ditch effort. Mm-hmm. This this is it. I mean, if, if the ship gets to Area 51, they're all dead. I mean, they're not going to survive that. Even though they're underground, it, I don't think they're going to survive yeah. it. And so you see him pull people together for a prayer and, and, uh, 
when another guy comes up, he says, well, I'm not Jewish. And he says, nobody's perfect. And they still pray. And <laughs> so it, it's, it, they kind of turn it into a comedic moment, moment, but at the same time, they're showing this intercessional prayer, which is what people tend to do when things are at their worst. It's like, that's when we turn to God in prayer. Instead of always living in prayer like God told us to be, you know, to pray without ceasing, to always step in faith and in prayer in every instance of our lives, we tend to wait for the bad things to pray. And that is uh, what you see demonstrated in this movie. And one of the things that we've heard a lot recently, not so much since 9-11, but during like, you know, like, like the shootings that have happened, where people say our thoughts and prayers are with you, and they can't kind of treat it as a yes. platitude. And there's a lot of kickback that that has gotten now, because you hear, well, what good are thoughts and prayers? That's not really fixing the problem. Prayers don't fix the problem. And why are you saying, you know, praying when you're not yeah, it even became a meme? Yeah. So I just wanted to deal a little bit about what what it means to pray, because Jesus did a parable in Luke 18, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a little long, but it's Luke 18, uh, verse 1 through verse 6, or no, verse 8. And it's talking about a, an unjust judge, and the widow keeps coming to him and asking for justice against an adversary. And he's doesn't have time for and yet she keeps pestering him and eventually he gives her justice because she wears him out with her persistence and jesus said and then the lord said listen to what the unjust judge says will not god grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night will he delay helping them i tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth and I was thinking about that as like, we should be persistent in our prayers, regardless of whether we think they do anything or not. God is listening and God will answer prayer. Sometimes his answers are not what we expect them to be, but we should be persistent in the praying. And to say that prayer doesn't result in anything or doesn't solve anything is definitely the position of the unbeliever, because as believers, we know that God is listening to our prayers and that there is resolution in lifting up uh, the problems in our world to him, that he does hear us and he will act when it's within his will. And then in Matthew eighteen nineteen through 20, it says, again, verily I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for it, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So even in an impromptu prayer, yes. prayer service, you know, where you're holding hands in a bunker waiting for the end of the world, God is... <laughs> God is going to hear you because you're you're praying to him then. And then when it comes to intercessory prayer, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible, again, is James 5, <laughs> James uh, 5, 13 through 16. It says, anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is any among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So what good are thoughts and prayers? Quite a lot from the from a believer, because mm -hmm. from the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Praying is important. <laughs> I mean, it's important enough that God gave a specific instruction on how we can pray, how we should pray. Yeah. And we we use that to 
to construct our prayers, uh, particularly in corporate settings. So this is what bugged me when that whole thoughts and prayers thing deridement started. I guess it was about two, two or three years ago. I don't remember the, the event that started. I, I want to say it was the shooting, the nightclub shooting in Florida. Mm-hmm. But, well, you know, people deny the power of God. They deny the power of prayer. They deny the existence of God. But we have to remember they are incapable of seeing the truth. Yeah. Their eyes are blocked. It's like a big, giant alien spacecraft right in their line of sight, and they're missing it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's why it's so important. The only way that the scales are going to fall away from their eyes is through Christ. And the only way that, that we as believers have in helping the non-believer to Christ is by demonstrating Christ's love and representing the truth. And uh, we're living in a world where that is increasingly, I was going to say frowned upon, but that's not even, that's not harsh enough anymore, (laughs) where it is increasingly forbidden. (laughs) Yeah. This week, the, the Supreme Court ruled that sexual orientation uh, is a protected class, just like gender and uh, ethnicity. And we're coming into a world now where... Up is down and wet is dry and... (laughs) Christian business owners are going to be... They're going to be sued for firing somebody because he was outspokenly LGBT. Not just for being LGBT, but if you run a uh, a Christian daycare and you have a employee who insists on teaching these three year olds that it's okay to have two mommies, and then you fire them for not, you know, meeting biblical standards, or worse yet, because it's happening constantly now, universities are firing professors yeah. for abiding by biblical standards. Now it, it, it's it's going. Not only is it going to lead to unemployment, it's going to lead to financial ruin for the people who do for the people who stand up for scripture. Yeah, and you know that was predicted that it would come to a point where Christians would would literally have to choose between the beast and Christ. Mm-hmm. And we're we're seeing it coming into fruition in our culture today. And, you know, it's interesting, because this movie is definitely a study in contrast, because you have this very relational image of prayer and, you know, thanks, thankfulness and, and people turning to God in the midst of tragedy. And at the same time, this movie is just chock full of taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. And if it's something that you're sensitive to, then I don't recommend watching this movie. I don't remember it being this bad. But when I watched it again, I was just like, I was actually keeping track of some of them in my notes. And it was just, just over and over again. And it wasn't as bad as they would do it nowadays. But it was, it was bad. It offended my ear to hear the Lord's name taken in vain as often as it was in this movie. And that just reminds Mm. us of Exodus 27, where it says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And even like the gentleman who was being thankful for the Metro Rail, he, he was really using the Lord's name in vain there because he didn't really mean it. He wasn't really being thankful to God. 
that he took the subway. Yeah. And he was using it with without meaning. And that's what in vain means. Yeah. To make powerless. <laughs> yeah. To misuse it in a way that is not giving God true glory for for the use of his name. And so it, it's sad. And uh, I think it's yeah. a commentary uh, that a movie made in the 90s was already so full of a lack of respect for God, even at the same time as they were showing that people do turn to God in tragedy. It, it Overall, the general feel of the movie was a disrespect for God. And, and that was definitely mm-hmm. a sad commentary. Now, there was a scene in this movie, and I've I've struggled with this because I was trying to figure out how to present it from a Christian standpoint, but it made me think of Christianity and, and Christ and, and a specific thing, but then I had a hard time really figuring out how to say this from a biblical standpoint. So maybe our listeners can help me out with this, and maybe someone will know what it's reminding me of. But David is the only one who figures out that the aliens are not here for a good reason. In fact, uh, Steve is caught saying earlier on in the in the movie they they came, flew all these billions of light years not to to pick a fight, pick a fight and make a get all rowdy. And uh, he was wrong; they did. But hmm. David found the signal in our satellites, and it was reducing itself. And so he did the math, and he figured out that in six hours the signal was going to end. And and uh, and that's when he figured out that these aliens were not here for any good because they were coordinating mm. something. And so he tells his boss, the the owner of the satellite cable company that he works for, to get out of New York. You know, this this is you need to get out of New York. Every time he talks to him, he's like, you got to get out. What are you still doing here? Get out. You know, he tells him <laughs> over and over and over again to get out of New York. And Marty, when he's had, what, three or four warnings and yeah. multiple times, David said, get out of New York. And he said, oh, I got to call my mom. I've got to call my lawyer. I've got to call my therapist. I got to." And he's thinking of all these people he needs to call. He tells his mother to get out of town. But when the blast takes out New York City, he's stuck in traffic. And sitting yep. there, sees it coming. And he's he's blown to smithereens with everybody else in New York City because he did not heed the warning. And when I was t- doing my notes pass, I'm like, he didn't heed the warning. He was giving multiple warnings and he didn't heed the warning. And that is spiritually where so many people are. Because uh, how often have you shared the gospel with somebody and they weren't willing right then to make a decision? Mm-hmm. And we've been learning in my church the um, three circles method of evangelism and one of one, once you get to the end i won't do the whole three circles here no it takes 3 minutes it's not that long hmm. but the the final question you're supposed to ask after you finish sharing the gospel is is there anything keeping you from making a decision so you know you lead them to telling them you know this is if you had a choice you know between these three circles where would you rather be and the way you present it is hopefully they would choose the, you know, being with God, you know, for eternity. And and you say, well, is there anything keeping you from choosing that now? Because that is what happens is so many people don't heed the warnings. They they hear it over and over again. Uh, they hear the gospel and they put it off. You know, well, I'm going to have 
sow my oats as a teenager. I'm going to wait till I'm in my 20s or I'm going to have my family and I'm going to enjoy my life. And then I'll, I'll let God have control of me later, you know, and you keep not heeding the warning and you just let, you keep putting it off and you keep putting it off. And you'd be like Marty where you, you get caught unawares, even though you've had multiple warnings, you never know when your last day is going to be. And, and, it, Marty is just focused on all the wrong things. Yeah, it, like he's trying to get his, trying to get everything in order before he flees, but none of it matters in the <laughs> end. No, no, none of it matters in the end, and that is the sad thing. Is, is he sent his mother to Atlanta, and that and Atlanta was hit in the second wave. So mm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's another aspect of warning in this movie, and that's. A kind of interesting folklore from an American standpoint. David's dad, Julius, points out when they're in the Air Force One, just flying around aimlessly, because where are they going to go? All the cities are being destroyed. He says, well, you you had the ship, you know, in, in uh, uh, where was it? Uh, New Mexico, you know, Roswell. <laughs> and they're all like, uh, no, you know, that's just a myth. There was no ship in Roswell. And the president, you know, very, you know, very carefully, you know, it's like, that didn't happen. You know, that's just myth. And then his advisor, I think it's the, uh, was it his? It's SecDef. SecNav. It's a Secretary of Defense. Yeah. yeah. He says that. Secretary of Defense. He says, that's not entirely accurate. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so he pointed out, you know, we've had access to this, these aliens technology for years, since the 60s. Why didn't we, you know, why didn't you tell us? And, uh. They didn't see it necessary to inform even the president that we'd seen this technology before. Two words. Yeah. Plausible deniability. Plausible deniability. (laughs) So this is an instance where, once again, we had warning. Somebody knew. It wasn't shared. And this is kind of an instance where you could draw the spiritual. as This is the person who knows the truth and keeps it to themselves instead of telling so this is the person who doesn't share the gospel. He's taking advantage of having that knowledge himself, but doesn't bother to let other people know, mm-hmm. you know? Another kind of hmm. spiritual parallel there. And then we have Jasmine, yeah. who makes her friend promise not to go welcome the aliens on the towers. I have a bad feeling about this. She goes <laughs> anyway, you know? So she promises. She She actually promises Jasmine, I won't go, I promise. And then... You see her going, climbing up there and, and pulling out her sign. Welcome. Waving, yeah. waving her sign. Yeah. 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 Make yourself at home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they would be happy to do so. Hmm. Well, that that's what they're there for. Yep. Yep. So their spiritual application, I had a really hard time finding scripture to back up any of those. But I, I know there is scripture. I just having a hard time. A mental block as to which yeah, it, which verse. It's, it's so common yeah. that it's hard to find. <laughs> yeah. In searching, one of the things that came up that I thought was interesting was the parable of the large banquet, which is the, the story of the... Well, I'll just read it. It's Luke 14. It's long, but it, it, it does apply. 
When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he told him that he being Jesus. A man was given a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask that you excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married. And therefore, I am unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master, the servant said, "When What you ordered has been done and there's still room. And then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And that is a painful commentary on those of us who do not make room for God in our lives because we've we've been warned we have the scripture we have the gospel we know what the end times is going to be and God has invited us to partake and we 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 make excuses and those who make excuses yeah. are are lose the invitation and you know we actually share in responsibility if we have if we possess the knowledge if we have the warning yeah but we don't uh we don't use it uh one of the ones that we pulled up was uh, Ezekiel 3:17 through 19 Son of man I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel when you hear a word from my mouth give them a warning from me If I say to the wicked person you will surely die but you do not warn him you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life that wicked person will die for his iniquity Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But when you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. Wow. So, you know, we that's, that's a really serious responsibility. Yeah. How effective is your salvation if you do not try to share it with others? Yeah. Um, it goes back to that that book of the Bible, James, where we are told that faith without works is dead. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it in this movie, you know, if David hadn't loved his wife so much, his ex-wife so much, that he was willing to drive into the center, even though he knew that they were running out of time. He went into Washington, D.C. to warn his wife and get her out of the White House and he was even willing, you know, mm -hmm. the president's not going to listen to me. Let's just go, you know. That's the way we should be, is be willing to step in front of somebody going the wrong direction and, and help them see the error of their ways and to turn and, and to escape the rightful judge, judgment that we all have as sinners. And I, I think that, you know, that that's a message that's in this movie that was definitely unintentional, but the idea of being warned and sharing that warning. I mean, David could easily have just grabbed his dad and taken off for the, you know, away, as far get away yeah. as far away from the cities as he could have and head for the Poconos. Yeah, but he didn't. He he went looking for his wife. He shared with Marty. He tried to find a way to get the message yeah. out as best he could. Specifically, because his wife, uh, not only because he loved his wife, but because his wife was in a position where his knowledge could do some good. She had the ear of the yeah. she had the ear of the president, so yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So there was uh, one topic that that I wanted to uh, I wanted to specifically discuss because it's um, it's heavy on my heart. Recently, um, at the time of the recording, we have been dealing with day after day mm-hmm. of protests and horrific killings committed by evil men, but uh, they have all had the effect of calling for defund the police. And it got me thinking as I watched this movie, you know, when faced with the arrival of the aliens, there were different characters who reacted to it different ways. You had just like, uh, just like any threat or any unknown, you had people who were war hawks who wanted immediately to shoot a nuke at the, at the aliens before you even knew what they were there for. You had doves who, who were people who, who were convinced that the aliens were there to to make friends and influence people. And then the pragmatists like General Gray, who took a wait and see, let's, uh, what is it, extend a handshake uh, in one hand and a knife in the other. There's a phrase, I, I can't remember how it goes. It got me thinking about how specifically in today's society, there are people who think that we do not need Police protection. Uh, there's an entire segment of uh, of Seattle where they have seceded, <laughs> seceded from the rest of the city, and for some unknowable reason, the mayor has allowed it. They've created their own police force. I mean, if you think about it, they they got rid of the city yeah, police. That, exactly. Yeah, they had to create their own police to. But but in doing so, they they have lost the protections of who decides what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, and I would say those same people would want us to get rid of our armies as well. I mean, if you if you think about that that segment of our population, it's not just the cops they want to get rid of. They don't want standing armies. Yeah. they don't want any of that. And that's exactly it. These armies, the police, these protectors, they exist because we live in a fallen world. And they will always be necessary, uh, almost always, until the second coming, they will be 100% necessary. And (laughs) there are literal and figurative army references throughout the entirety of scripture coming out of Egypt the the nation of Israel under God's direction commit atrocities that would have war criminal proceedings for decades but they do them under the direction of the all powerful perfect God so we have to believe that they are completely necessary because God is when we say holy, 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 we're not just quoting scripture. We are we are referencing a separation from sin, a level of separation from sin that God has that is beyond our comprehension. And when God tells the armies of Israel coming into the promised land that they need to kill every person of a separate faith he is he is doing it to try and protect his people and they fail they don't do it at one point in in numbers is the story of a plague that affects israel as as they're wandering in the desert and the only way that the nation who suffers 
losses in the hundreds of thousands. The only way that God grants them the reprieve is by killing the worshipers of the the worshipers of Israel who have turned to Baal. Yeah. It, 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 violence is necessary in a fallen world when it is in of the will of God and we have to trust that that there are good people who use that military who use that force righteously and uh, if you want examples of people who don't just look at recent news of police killing african american men and women without cause and it's because that the the darkness in their hearts have gotten the better of them and i i think there's a different shade on that as well is that you see our culture holding people as if there there's a a level of good i i think that that is part of the problem that we have is that people actually think that there are good people and there are bad people. They don't come into account the fact that we are all bad people, that we are all sinful, that we're all dirty, rotten sinners. We all fail at some point in our lives. And that is at, you know, at root, you know, they think that they're, that people can be at root good. And that leads them astray into expecting behavior out of people without accountability. And I think Mm -hmm. that, some of the solution to some of the problems we're seeing in our culture right now is recognizing the fact that man has fallen and that we have to have accountability and regulations and enforcement in order to curb the sinful nature of mankind. And you can't just assume that people are good. You have to assume people are bad. And that goes for people who have authority, like police officers and even our government officials, like mayors and governors and uh, presidents and congressmen and all of the people in authority. We can't expect mm-hmm. them to be doing what is right just for the sake of what is right, because that's not in their heart. That's not what the heart of man is the heart of man is deceitful and wicked and so we have to have regulations and accountability set standards in order to hold people accountable to good behavior because they're not going to do it on their own just because but now we're living in a society where good behavior is questioned yeah what is good there is no good there is no bad there is only what is and it is it's poisoning our very civilization to be denying absolute truth yeah. to to be denying absolute morality but uh just real quick back to the use of armies in the bible there are there are two images that have always stuck out to me that speaks to the importance of of armies and the first one is actually from second kings 6 617 and the the lead up is that Elisha ha, is in a city, and he and that city has been surrounded by this by this huge army uh, for the sole purpose of capturing Elisha. I mean, they they said, "Hey, anybody know where Elisha is? Oh, he's in Gotham. Okay, let's go attack or let's go siege Gotham." And so they get up, and you know, there's this army encamped around the city of Gotham, and. Elisha's servant is like, dude, we are hosed. We don't stand a chance here. And this is this is where verse 17 starts. Elisha then prayed, 
Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And, you know, this army is never used. It's just there to demonstrate the strength of God. Yeah. And that's, that is an important part of what the army is supposed to do throughout Independence Day. General Gray is reluctant to use military force and, and the president even more so. The president uh, basically had to have his arm twisted to, uh, he had to have a near death experience to use a nuclear weapon on, on one of the ships. Yeah, and even then he hemmed and hawed over the choice. Yeah, and and his when he authorized the firing, his his words were, "May our children forgive us," because he knew the impact. He knew that this is something that was going to hang over that soil for generations mm-hmm. and generations. Uh, look at Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been forty years since Chernobyl, and it's still not safe to live there. But the the military is to protect project strength as much as, if not more so than anything else. Um, and the other image from Scripture of the military is, is how we all of us believers are soldiers. Uh, you think back to when you were a kid and you would sing, I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir! <laughs> but it, it carries a lot more weight, particularly for those of us who have served, what that means. In Ephesians 6, we have Paul telling us to put on the full armor of God and then laying out what each of the pieces are. But it it is so that we are capable of fighting this spiritual battle because it's a battle for the hearts and minds mm-hmm. of people who are going to die. It's just a question of whether or not they will live an eternity of, of damnation or an eternity of salvation. Yeah. And if we do not put on that armor, if we do not spread the word, if we do not heed the warning and share it, then we are every bit as guilty as those who never opened their eyes at all. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, the, the armies in Independence Day were completely ineffective because they were outclassed by the aliens until uh, David took down their shields. Until an IT guy saved the day. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> With a virus. Your idea. Your idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, I can quote lines from this movie all day, but I've got to give me one of these. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. This time without the oops. That That's my favorite one, too. <laughs> but as a military force, as Christians, our strength does not come through our own arms or through our own efforts. Uh, our strength exactly. comes through the Spirit, because that's really what the armor of God is. Is it's not it's not something that we carry within ourselves. It's something we put on through our Christian walk, because we we carry the sword of the Bible with us. We we put on the truth like a belt around our waist and we shot our mm-hmm. feet with readiness in the gospel of peace and we pick up a shield of faith and and so we have all all of these are spiritual things that we that we carry with us and that is uh, the strength of god not our strength and that means that you know 
if we put on all of that, we're not going to be outclassed by the enemy because God is sovereign over any enemy that we could come across. And we cannot be outclassed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's got nothing to do with us. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is a, a good reminder. And, and, uh, especially in this day and age where we, we want to, uh, uh, throw off those things in our society that make us civilized and turn into complete chaos. I think Christians especially need to be speaking truth in love and standing up for our, our men in blue, especially right now, not to say that they can't be held accountable when they do wrong things because they are sinful human beings and they, and they should be held accountable when they do wrong things. But we also need to be careful not to paint with too broad a brush in which we demonize the very people that we would call in when we need help. Uh, I think it's very interesting that the that this uh, Chaz, this autonomous uh, group that have separated themselves, they're still needing help. And uh, they, mm -hmm. they, they're, they've discovered they can't be completely autonomous. And they, they still <laughs> need people to keep order. And they, they still need things from the outside. And it's a good reminder that we're not we we need God. We 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 can't live our lives without Him. And uh, yeah. So uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed this discussion. Independence Day is a good movie. And if you uh, if you've listened to all of this and you have no clue what we're talking about, because I know that we have a few people who listen to our <laughs> podcast who don't actually watch movies. Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the discussion, nevertheless, because uh, this this movie has been around for a really long time, and uh, uh, one of my favorites, one that I was a little shocked to realize had so much bad language in it, and uh, but it has always been one of my favorites. And now, when I watch it again, because I know I will watch it again at some point, maybe not <laughs> not this year again, but I'll be able to think about our discussion and and you know, see what else I missed. And if you see if I'm sure that we've missed some things in this movie that we could have talked about. And if uh, you would like to join us in at our community group on Facebook, uh, you can go to are you just watching dot com slash community or just look for are you just watching on Facebook, we have a page and a group, please join us in in discussions. Uh, there's a lot more I'm sure we could talk about in this movie and in other movies that we've talked about in the past as you through our archives, make sure that you have subscribed uh, to our podcast, wherever you get our podcasts, uh, we're available on pretty much all of the big ones and some of the small ones. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to have some reviews. Uh, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. You can comment on the show notes for this episode, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 106. You can call us at 513-818-2959. Email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And of course, we would dearly love uh, if you would consider supporting us. You can sign up for monthly support through Patreon at patreon.com slash are you just watching. We want to thank Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman for their generous support. And we'd love for you to join them as well. Think, oh, yeah, Twitter. I'm on Twitter at E. Franklin. Ah. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing next. Uh, we've, we've just recorded two episodes, which will take us through the summer. Hopefully, we get this one out in July. That was kind of the idea. God willing, <laughs> God willing. when we do August, we'll be able to go back to the theater. Yes, that would be wonderful. I'd love to 
to to see a movie in the theater again. I, I think the theaters would like to be open again. Yeah. I was actually kind of heartened by the fact that I, I actually have a subscription to my local theater where I, I pay monthly for one free movie. And it's just a, I'm like a movie club. And when COVID shut the theaters down, they actually quit charging me. So I, I got thinking That's about good. like the second month in, I was like, I wonder if I'm still getting charged for that. And I went and looked and no, <laughs> they had suspended all of the memberships, uh, which was kind of nice of them to do that. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are you just watching as a member of the Christian podcast community? Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Are you just watching? You grab the popcorn, plant the family on the couch, and flip on the TV. But have you left your worldview behind? Media comes in all forms, and all of it contains some level of indoctrination. Are You Just Watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com. And don't just watch.